I'm Kyle Simon. And I'm Corey Astle. Welcome to Conservative Minds, a podcast dedicated to examining conservative intellectual history to determine the core values of American conservatism. What does it mean to call yourself a conservative? What did it mean in prior times, and how did we get where we are today? We explore these questions and more by turning to conservative political thinkers from the past and present. Each episode, we select readings and conduct a discussion to share with you our investigation. If you want to join the discussion, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at ConsMinds, at C-O-N-S-M-I-N-D-S. For episode 45, we read The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism by Max Weber, published in 1905. Max Weber was born in 1864 in Saxony, Prussia. His father was a wealthy and prominent politician, and his mother was a devout Calvinist. He attended the University of Heidelberg before a year of military service. He then transferred to the University of Berlin. He finished his doctorate in 1889 and joined the University of Berlin faculty. Weber is best known for combining economics with sociology. Along with Emil Durkheim and Karl Marx, Weber is credited as one of the three founders of sociology as a field of study. Weber suffered from bouts of depression and mental illness throughout his life, which disrupted his teaching and research. In later life, he became politically active and ran unsuccessfully for a seat in Parliament. Afterward, he returned to academia. He died of pneumonia in 1920. Writing early in the 20th century, Weber sees how rational capitalism had developed in the West, but not so much in other countries around the world. His project, as he sees it, is to find out why. What is it about Western civilization that made it the only civilization to develop rational bourgeois capitalism? Hmm. And further, what was it about the West that encouraged the rational utilization of scientific knowledge? It was different than other countries, other civilizations. Um, he's talking about the use of financial analysis and bookkeeping, for example. Weber asks, why did not the capitalist interests do the same in China or India? Why did not the scientific, artistic, political, or economic development there enter upon the path of rationalization. Well, voices on the left believe that the answers to those questions lie in material factors. Maybe the environment or geography of Western Europe essentially determine the outcome. This is the gum, guns, germs, and steel argument. Yeah, I was going to mention that. It's, it's definitely something we're still talking about today. Yeah. Marxists, on the other hand, argue that the exploitation and coercion of the working class occurred long before the advent of modern capitalism. So it's the greed of capitalism came first, and this religious rationale came later. And that's kind of similar to Rousseau's social contract theory in that you know, people were equal, pristine first, and then private property and greed entered the world. And Max Weber doesn't, he doesn't dismiss those factors completely, but he, he definitely thinks there's something more to it, and there's a much more central factor. And so in this book, he'll, he's going to walk us through his uh, thesis and he was, he's going to argue that there's something about the religious culture that spurred on the development of modern capitalism. Right, and specifically the Protestant religious culture, not just Christianity in general. And that's, that's, he goes through that in a lot of detail, talking about a lot of different um, Protestant thinkers and, and theologians. But um, sort of the, you know, it's a change from the medieval mindset where like we when we talked when we read the uh, the Benedict option right about the monks you know so much of their organized life from that early medieval structure was about prayer like that was the highest thing you could do was just pray and meditate and and chant and you know really 
that was the highest use of a man's time and, and energy. And from that, we sort of got this medieval idea that business was, if not dirty, it wasn't good. You know, it was just sort of like, well, you have to do it to survive, I guess. You know, sort of like going back to the Old Testament when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden and Adam's curses, he's going to have to work for his food now. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's seen like a you know business and, and any sort of enterprises seen sort of like a eh, you got to do it but it's not really good in itself you know in protestantism we sort of changed this and you know uh, Faber talks about the development of the idea of um, work as a calling and that's essential in his, in his view to the development of uh, the, the spirit of capitalism which he seems to have something it's not just doing capitalism it's the spirit of capitalism which is this interesting dichotomy because he said you know i mean a lot of what we call modern capitalism started in renaissance italy which was not protestant at all was very catholic but he doesn't really see that as the true spirit of capitalism it's just guys who were better at making money and inventing things like bookkeeping and you know that sort of Mm -hmm. banking you know the things that are on the road to capitalism, but they still had the medieval mindset of like, well, this is still a dirty business, and we've got to give some money to the church to make up for it, because it's not right. It wasn't until the Reformation, he, he thinks, that um, that mindset sort of flipped, and he saw that work could be godly and virtuous in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at the outset, he wants us to, he's, he defines his terms, I mean, he wants us to understand that for him, when he says capitalism, especially rational capitalism, it's not the same thing as the pursuit of money, like you were saying. You know, he says the impulse to acquisition, pursuit of gain of money, of the greatest possible amount of money, has nothing to do with capitalism. It was always common to all sorts of conditions of men and in all countries of the earth. You and I have talked about this quite a bit before. You know, like greed and you know the exchange of goods, whether it was the official, you know, institution of the the civilization or not like people have always done that mm-hmm. and that's that's how people get along but he wants to say that capitalism is in the way he's trying to analyze it is something bigger i mean it's it's he says everything is done in terms of balances an initial balance before every individual decision a calculation to ascertain his probable profitableness and at the end a final ban- balance to ascertain how much profit has been made it's the expectation of profit by the utilization, like the systematic utilization of opportunities for exchange. So turning it into a science, you know, using bookkeeping, using um, financial accounting, you know, having a spreadsheet, figuring out beforehand, like, what are my costs going to be? And then make a bid and then do that and then, you know, make a profit. So it's something more. It's a, it's a big step forward uh, from just, you know, barter and exchange. And so, you know, listeners might be like, well, they totally did that in China. Yes, they they made those exchanges, whatever. But the way he's defining it is basically more advanced capitalism, a scientific version, using um, scientific methodology. So that's what kind of set it apart. uh, And so these market characteristics would be like rational structures of law and administration, a legal system with formal rules that, that structure transactions you know so what he's saying is other civilizations didn't do that they they may have had trade but they didn't have this systematic stru- legal structure you know 
rational industrial organization attuned to the regular market uh, and neither to political nor irrationally speculative opportunities for profit, he said. So. Yeah, and it's it it kind of ties in with the, the whole – the differences in, in how we see class structure as an American and, and how Europeans and, 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 you know, ancient China and other places saw it. You know, it was like the top of the, the class structure in, in those old places was not the rich businessman. In England, that guy until recently was still considered middle class. He mm-hmm. just happened to be rich. You know, you, you had this sort of the the, the goal if you, it, to live the highest level in life was not to make a lot of money. It was, it was more just to have it. You know, to have land, to have the castle or or you know, country house. You know, the stately house with you know tenant farmers and you know money's rolling in. You have money. You know, like you were saying and. Faber was saying everybody always wanted to have more stuff. That's we all want that, but um, it used to be sort of that to be the aristocrat was the highest goal, and that didn't mm-hmm. mean working, you know. And it's yeah, as Americans, that's hard to get our heads around because we never had that aristocracy. Not in that, not in the true sense. We talk about having an aristocracy now. It's like oh well, you know, the Washington D.C. aristocracy or you know the political families like the Kennedys, but they're that's nothing compared to what they had in, in Europe or China or a lot of other places. So this sort of money-making as the thing that gets you to the highest level in society and the thing that is a good way to get there is unique to us. And that's why it, it surprised me at first how much he focused on America because he's writing in, in Germany in 1905. But mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense because we did this here better than other places and you know they they kind of caught up but and it's and you know the the impulses started there but it's um part of this capitalist spirit is the rejection of that uh dichotomy between status and and work where you know if you had the high status you didn't do the work anymore and this is how he pushes back against the the, the Marxist explanation, the historical material explanation, because the desire to, for 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 more and greater wealth and greed, well, that's part of the human condition. But but this this capitalist attitude of avarice would have been proscribed in prior times, not because it wasn't known, you know, or developed, because you know before the yeah there was the haves and the have-nots, but they were aristocrats, and the goal of life was to basically live in idleness mm-hmm. and have others kind of run the plantation, so to speak. But, so he says, in order that a manner of life so well adapted to the peculiarities of capitalism should come to dominate at all, it had to originate somewhere and not in isolated individuals alone, but as a way of life common to whole groups of men. So it's kind of, it's a it's an entire like culture shift. And, you know, Weber's saying it was, the engine of that was this bourgeois Protestant ethic of working hard and seeing like, no, I want to get ahead, you know, and it's, it, it was partially greed, but he's going to say it's something more, something that finds its seeds in the, the religion itself. He, he saw this himself, you know, his, his own, in, in every biography I found, it was, they were sure to note that his wife, or sorry, his, his mom was a very devout Calvinist, very dedicated to this, and in fact, it created serious um, family problems, um, his mom and dad. Uh, had serious disagreements, and and it ended up causing Weber himself was 
in later in life was just became very estranged from his his father and his father's death is what in some ways like precipitated his mental illness but um, so a lot of the stuff was on his mind and very much the water he was swimming in yeah and it's he makes an interesting point um in noting that in, in america you know our new england colonies were founded for religious reasons mostly you know and their early leaders were calvinist preachers whereas the southern colonies were mostly founded for money making you know the tobacco plantations and things like that mm-hmm. and yet new england really typified the spirit of capitalism and that's where that when you think of new england yankees in the old days they were the ones who were doing this they were the, this kind of dedication to work and that's where the factories started that's where the, the big businesses started and the, and the money got produced and and Meanwhile, the South was sort of living that aristocratic life of idleness. I mean, partially because of the slave system, but also just because they, they um, and it's weird to think of it now, but, you know, in the days before the Civil War, New England was the far more religious area. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we think now of religion in the South as being more important to the people there generally than New England, but it, it used to be the opposite. And it's that, that sort of... Uh, that 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 Protestantism, that, that Calvinism specifically, the asceticism that he gets into is, um, that, yeah, you shouldn't be idle. You know, you shouldn't be, shouldn't ha- you know, have these other people doing all your work for you. You should get out there and earn. That's what that's what God made you for. And it, it's it's weird. I you know I hadn't thought about it because, but it, it the colonies ended up doing the reverse of what they were founded to do. Both of them. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. He so he um, he gives us ben- Benjamin Franklin's like a list of precepts. Yeah, he gives he gives us Benjamin Franklin's list of, list of precepts as it comes to capitalism, wealth, the how to accumulate and to do well. You know, time is money, credit is money, money beget money, and its offspring can beget more. You know, we know this. Like uh, you have to have money to make money. We hear that the good paymaster is lord of another man's purse, which is another way of saying. If you pay, if you pay, you're willing to pay on time, uh, pay your bills, then it's much easier to raise money, you know, to get a loan. He says the most trifling actions that affect a man's credit are to be regarded. In other words, people are paying attention to how you behave. If they know that you've taken out a loan, but then they also see you like at, you know, at the bar every night. Well, they're gonna raise some suspicion. Another one: trifling expenses mount up to large sums. You know, I, my wife and I always talk, <laughs> think in these terms. You know, all right. That lunch is only twelve dollars now, but if you did it every single day, that's that's mm-hmm. really gonna add up. Oh yeah. He that idly loses five shillings worth of time loses five shillings. You know, time is money. That's what we would say today. You know, if you're if if you're not working, then that's just time lost. This ethos, Max Weber's gonna says it, it didn't really exist before. He's he said while there was exchange and whatever, you know, like this. Uh, the this this ethos of you know time is money and and you have to have money to make money and you know all these different precepts well it arose as part of a culture and it was special and different and unique in that way yeah and it's it's it um it almost we talked today about you know work life balance and you know it's it's still something that people struggle with because I, I don't think this ever became universal but it definitely became universal among people who got ahead. And, you know, Weber notes that in Germany about how in, in the Protestant Catholic divide he discusses in the first chapter, you know, it's, it, 
he says some people want to focus on that work, other people want to focus on life. And um, there was a, a proverb, eat well or sleep soundly, uh, that among those who didn't buy into this new capitalist mindset, the idea was, you know, well, I could do all these things in the capitalist world to eat well, but you know, it's going to trouble my conscience. Mm. And it's funny because in chapter five, he sort of has a different German proverb. It says a clear conscience makes a soft pillow. And the, the difference being that the Protestants to work hard and not be frivolous and not waste their time is the thing that does give them the clear conscience. Mm-hmm. So that it's, it's, it's more, uh, you know, we think of the reformation as a, a doctrinal dispute, you know, starting with the indulgences and all these, you know, the medieval abuses of the church. And, but there's, there's a serious cultural shift. And I wonder, you know, I wonder which is the chicken and which is the egg, you know, I mean, yeah, like right. he talks about, you know, that the Protestants wanted more religious control. They just wanted it to be real. Whereas the Catholics, you know, you think of, oh, well, that's the control from Rome that's, you know, controlling everybody in the Christian world. But it wasn't really that much control because rich people were still doing whatever they wanted and, you know, buying the indulgences and getting out of it. So I, I, it makes me, it made me think that I wonder if the people who had this mindset, the Reformation sort of liberated them to uh, reshape the religion to match, mm-hmm. you know, to th- that kind of industriousness that, that they probably had, but were told was wrong. And yeah. they could, I, I think it, Calvinism sort of refocused on that that kind of person and that that kind of aesthetic godly life that they thought they should be living all this time, whereas the, the church in Rome was not really behind it. Yeah, and what separated Calvinism in particular? Well, he says, predestination asserts that success in economic activities is evidence of blessings by God. And you know, and then he he all of chapter five is is this study on the asceticism of of Protestants, particularly uh, Calvinists, the asceticism being, you know, sort of your self-discipline. He says the real moral objection is to relaxation in the security of possessions, the enjoyment of wealth with the consequence of idleness and the temptations of the flesh, above all, a distraction from the pursuit of a righteous life. For the saints' everlasting rest is in the next world. On earth man must, to be certain of his state of grace, do the works of him who sent him as long as it is yet day. You know, so... The, it was written into the religious belief that if you weren't demonstrating your success, you know, economic success, then, you know, it, it was almost evidence that you weren't saved. So, you know, you have to kind of c- constantly get out there and prove, like, no, I am saved. Because, I mean, on the one hand, the Calvinists would believe that only a certain number of folks are will receive salvation but nobody knows who it is and there's no way of knowing no way of finding out but there are ways that you can sort of find some indications and one of those is you're doing well in business <laughs> and, and i mean yeah. how, how about a, a religious cultural tool to spur you on you know i can't think of a better one than to say like well if if you're doing well and you're kicking butt in your business and you you believe that every hour lost is lost to an hour of glorifying God, well, then you're going to get out there and do that. I mean, this is a strong argument that culture really matters. And to me, you know, just as a side note, I think, you know, Mormons are not as explicit as this, but there's definitely a deep belief. I think, you know, in the majority, you'd call it the prosperity gospel, but it's kind of like if, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, 
that you're supposed to be doing and you're working very hard, then God will bless you and you'll see those blessings. And it's, it's kind of a way to sort of get ahead, but it's also a way to find evidence that, you know, God is pleased with your life and, and what you're doing and, and your work and, and that, you know, your sacrifice. It made me wonder about modern prosperity gospels too. And the difference I see, and it's, it's subtle, I think, but I think there is, a, I think the Calvinists would not say that their success here is a reward for uh, their godliness. Yeah. I think, I think the prosperity gospel kind of, well, I think a lot of it doesn't have the theological backbone that Calvinists said. So I think it's more like, do well, God will reward you. Well, I, th- I think Calvinists would say, oh, yeah, we'll be rewarded in the next life. You yeah. Know? I mean, but so, yeah, we can make money here, sure. But don't use it for, uh, you know, luxuries. Don't use it, you know, eat rich food all the time and, you know, have mistresses and, you know, do all these other sinful things that money tempts us to do. So they still had to be, that's the asceticism. And that's what was, I mean, I don't know if there is a modern, uh, the prosperity gospel people don't seem to be very ascetic. That's true. That's they seem to be flashy point. as heck, you know, like, and that's, that's the difference, I think. And that's, like, when you think of a, a New England Yankee in the old days, you know, he might have money in the bank, but he wasn't living fancy. Yeah, the way that it translates is, you know, for Calvinists, you couldn't, there's no dancing, you know, there's, there's, there's no sports. <laughs> yeah. Because those are all indulgences that waste time when you should be out doing God's work and glorifying God. But yeah, he went, in, around. he went into the, a, a kind of discussion here about how Calvinists hated sport. And he tried, to, I think Faber tried to say they didn't really hate sport, but they kind of did. Because, I mean, they, the, the Puritans were against sport on Sunday, because that's God's day, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, okay. But then they would also say, well, when it's not the Sabbath, you better be working. It's like, well, okay, well, <laughs> when is the, there's only seven days. So if six of them were supposed to be working, seventh of them were supposed to be worshiping (laughs) you know like where i I think they did hate sport i think they saw it the same way i don't know the same way i see the fashion industry it's a waste (laughs) you know but i mean i like sports but you know i think they looked at it the same sort of way like what what are you doing this doesn't make anything who's making money by this you're you're wasting money going to these games you know or or buying this equipment just put it in the bank and, and get back to work give it to the poor and you know go to church you know it, it's it, so yeah that that's a that's a tough sell as a as an ethos but I th- there is there there is something to it and it's certainly we we lack asceticism as a culture today overall well that's for sure and going back to last week's episode the moral therapeutic deism which is basically i'm, I'm going to live my life according to my own values and and according to my you know what how i think i should spend my time and god's going to bless me for it <laughs> yeah it's a very different outlook than than believing that the only way you glorify god is to get out there and work you know like wealth acquisition and the performance of duty you know recognizing that you have a calling your calling in life is not to think happy rainbow big thoughts about saving the world but to get out there and hustle you know your calling you know so, uh, these days i think we we think in your calling we think in terms of i have a calling for public service or i have a calling to be Mm. a teacher or something you know something that it could be noble but to them a calling was you know my calling is to run this factory (laughs) my calling is to employ a hundred people and this kind of lines up with charles murray's uh discussion on 
um, some of the virtues that have faded in among uh, the working class that, that he studied, and one of them being industriousness. You know, and it's and you know part of it is you can blame the welfare state for it because they, they give out money for nothing. You know, but I think if industry is a virtue, if work is a calling, people are going to do it anyway. You know, so if you have this aesthetic Protestant mindset, you know, just the fact that either the government's given you money or maybe you inherited money or maybe you, you've made enough in your life, it doesn't stop you from being industrious. It's, it's, it made me think of the debate over universal basic income because I think a lot of it, a lot of the proponents of that policy, the idea that the government should just give everybody money every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Andrew Yang is, is pushing this in the Democratic primaries. You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, socialists like it. But I think it depends on – it would only work if everyone is like the, the kind of people Weber is describing here, the ones who will work anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's just, it just helps you out. But this was – I mean even among – you talked about how the Calvinists believe in, a, in an elect, you know, a, a, a small group of those who would save, be saved. So even, even in their day when these ideas were more popular, they didn't think it applied to everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and nowadays they, sure, they certainly don't. So, you know, I think it's, you know, if your view of mankind is, oh, they're going to, people are going to work anyway. People, this just, this would just, li- more money would just liberate them to do something more meaningful. But I think that the, the flip side of this would be the, the non-Calvinist ethic. Is that it, and he talks about traditionalism as, you know, when, when capitalism did start to make more efficiencies and make it such, you know, me, it, uh, mechanical advances made it that we could do, we could make the same amount of money with less time, you know, which is sort of like the UBI idea of today. Mm-hmm. Well, some people said, great, now I can work twice as much, make twice as much money in the same amount of hours. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> and other people were like, cool, I can work half as much in the same amount of money <laughs> and I'm good because yeah. I'm pretty good with what I, I have my traditional needs. Got a house, got clothes, food. I'm good. And that, that divide is, is always with us. And I think it, but people who want these one-size-fits-all solutions in Washington often see like, a, oh, well, everyone's going to – no one's going to be made lazy if we give them free money. <laughs> and then someone on our side will be like, everybody will be made lazy <laughs> if we give them free money. And it's like, eh, that's not true. Some people would still work. I mean some people worked in the Soviet Union even though they didn't get many rewards for that work. Uh-huh. But, it, I, I mean, ultimately it's corrosive and a lot of people would stop – would work less or – work the same amount but not as hard not really put their heart into it i think it, it that you know that's sort of the free money free you know free but you know free money does sort of degrade this calvinist ethic mm-hmm. but i think in, in Weber's telling there's some people who would still see work as a calling and still keep going with it and their their capital that they have the real spirit of capitalism even if the society becomes anti-capitalist mm-hmm. yeah those are good insights and it I certainly would feel much more comfortable with the universal basic income if, if the entire society believed that that they were displeasing God by not working hard. <laughs> yeah, and then it might work, right? In this, in also, what we're saying, like you know, as folks on the left would say, well, it's not God that's displeased; it's the society, you know, the the cultural mores. It's it's the pressure. It's the, you know, it's the the fact that there's uh, coercion by by the society to work, to get out and work. And part of me is like, 
yeah, that would be nice. And I, and mm-hmm. I think certainly at times we had that in America. You know, imagine a, a Great Depression today versus in the 1930s. In the 1930s, you know, people were not only concerned about paying their bills, but also about demonstrating to the world that they could work and that they would work hard and they did have, you know, value in that way. And today, if if we had a Great Depression, it's it's a you owe me, you know, like there's uh, s- somebody needs to come yeah. in and save me. You know, there's, there's not, there's not this same, the same ethic of, I need to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I need to do everything I can. You know, I need to go stand at five thirty in the morning with a group of a hundred other men, you know, to and re- jump with my hand raised, hoping that I'll be picked to go, you know, shovel, di- shovel trenches or something. Yeah, there's there even if 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 the Calvinist predestinationist ideas don't hold sway in society, and I mean I don't, I never got my head around predestinationism myself, but I think that idea is so important that you know it's easy to say everybody has dignity and that you know it's a universal thing to mankind that we all have human dignity, but when somebody gets out there and works, and somebody else freely pays them for that work, you know that's that's that that worldly confirmation that look, somebody does think my, my labor has value. You know, when I bring home this paycheck, it's not charity. It's because I earned it. Yeah. You know, I'm doing this thing to provide for my family because, and so, and it's not nobody's forcing them to pay me. I, they think my work is valuable. The market thinks my work is valuable. It's that, that external validation of dignity, I think is important. I think, you know, that's, that's why I, I always say people, most people don't want welfare. They want work. Yeah, because that work lets you hold your head high, and it's the same sort of external, like like how the Calvinists saw worldly success as confirmation of their of them being among the elect. Um, I think in a more universal sense, we can have that today as sort of in the in the more modern idea of, of the dignity of all mankind. You know, not not this small elect, but that that everybody has human dignity, mm-hmm. and everybody has value. That that's always my problem with the with the the basic income set is that they they sort of they suggest that not everyone has value and that some people just need to be pensioned off and go away. Yeah, work tells us you know if you get out there and somebody pays you for your work, even if they're not paying a lot, they're they're saying I'd rather have what you do than have the money that's in my pocket. I want to give you money to do the thing you do. And that's that's a great validation, and, and that you could see how people like like charles murray the you know, modern sociologist would kind of you know who who were, of course were familiar with weber and his and his early sociology would see this that that something to that uh that dignity of work that that really is important in building communities yeah and building families i couldn't agree more it, and it it confuses the the causes and origins of what it, what brings fulfillment in life you know it's not mm-hmm. actually the the consumption that you that you get with your, you know, with your big paycheck, but instead the the fulfillment comes from the work accomplished, and and it that whole mindset just seems to ignore that. But you mentioned this a little bit, but I wanted to dive in a little bit deeper, and that is his comparison between Protestants and Catholics, because while well, he has a he has a focus, you know, he 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 lays the umbrella for Christianity in general and Protestantism. He makes some specific comparisons with Catholicism that he sees in terms of how, like, their work choices and so forth. He says, a higher percentage of Protestants pursue technical studies 
and industrial and commercial occupations that prepare for middle-class business life. Catholics show a propensity to remain in their crafts. Protestants attracted into the factories to fill upper ranks of skilled labor and administrative positions. Large differences in the type of higher education between the two. Catholics lag behind their proportion of the population. And what I thought this was interesting, and I, I, I'm not in a position to judge whether he's accurate or not with his description. I mean, we'll take his word for it, I guess. But what really jumped out to me about this is these types of comparisons would only be done, I mean, in terms of like a conservative podcast, like this would only be done by by folks who are not on the left because we, we see this today too. I mean, there's a higher percentage of Asians who pursue STEM than, mm-hmm. you know, much higher percentage than, higher percentage than whites, much higher percentage than, than African-Americans or, or Hispanics. And, you know, folks on the left would would say that that is that's due to material factors. You know, it's it's due to the you know economic constraints and the coercion and exploitation that in, exists in society. And I, I'm not going to completely dismiss all that, but I like this argument that that Weber's making because I do think that culture matters a lot. I think it matters a lot that that you know the stereotypical you know Asian tiger mom is really interested in having. Uh, her son and daughter become a doctor or whatever you know I think that that matters a lot in in life outcomes and I'm very persuaded by this I was having a conversation with someone uh, this week talking about the book and you know he he seemed pretty skeptical like "Ah, I don't know that it matters that much but I think it does maybe 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 it's not a completely deciding factor you know certainly these economic factors factor in the geographical factors you know Jared Diamond you know they they play a role, but so does this. And I think it, I think it matters a lot. I think that, that religion and the way parents raise their kids, you know, it's not going to, parents can't do much to change their child's personality, but there can, there can certainly be, and if, if you look at it from the pejorative, from the way the left would like the coercion of society or the coercion of family and society and, you know, the, the ever watching eye of, yeah, that does, that does, it does change your behavior. It does cause you to, you know, pursue different things or have different interests in life and, and it uh, dictates some outcomes. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. There's not one answer, but culture must play a big role. And then, I mean, his exact, um, this situation he studies now, early 20th century German Catholics, Protestants. I don't, th- I, I don't think in America there's that much difference between Catholics and Protestants anymore. Yeah. Um, I think after Vatican II, I mean, and, and just also the effect of being in America, um, part of the assimilation of Catholic immigrants has been to adopt sort of a Protestant culture. Um, and it, it's really all one anymore. Um, well, so as Charles Murray would, would, in his telling, like basically the, it, it's all one and it's all moved away from, from yeah. this hard work. Yeah. Yeah, it's more about if you if you are anything or if you're, uh, you know, agnostic or, you know, that that sort of fake religion that Dreyer was talking about or you know, this, so I, I think uh, <clears throat> to talk of a Catholic Protestant divide in America is probably not accurate here in 2020, but it may well have been in 1905 in Germany. I, I don't know. I think maybe. I think before the the two Vatican councils, the Catholic Church was quite different, and Catholic culture was different, and people were more separate from each other too. Like you, there was less intermarriage, into you know, it, 
that sort of thing. So um, the exact comparison, I think, doesn't carry over because things have changed. But I think definitely culture matters and the kind of household you grow up in, if, if your household values work, you know, and that's and I think that's part of the vigor that, that, that immigrants give to America is because it's is work to get here, you know, mm-hmm. and once you're here, you know, there's you can't coast. There's not you don't have any family here to fall back on. There's fewer welfare programs available to immigrants. And, you know, for good reason, we don't want people to come here just to be bums. And they don't. They come here to work. And I think that, like you were saying about Asians going to the STEM, I think it's usually because I think a lot of that is, is immigrant culture. Yeah. Is it's they're, they're more recent arrivals. And people are coming out of families where work was, was paramount. Look, we got here. We don't have much. Got to work. This is what it is. We work every day. So I think that culture definitely matters a lot. And, and you know, Marxists discount it and, it's, you know, call it, you know, things that are opiates to the masses and things meant to distract us and divide us from our real class identity. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't see that class identity going across all, all groups and all different kind of families. And, and you know, I, I see, I see cultural variations mattering a lot more than what you, how you hold, hold yourself out in society, what you do with your time. You know, what you, if you do achieve success, what you do with it, I think a lot that, like you said, I mean, you can't, you can't make your kids be, have exactly the same kind of worldview as you have, but that definitely the, the grounding in the kind of culture you, you grow up in matters. Yeah. We, we've all heard these stories so many times of, you know, my great grandfather came, came to America from, from blank with $5 in his pocket and. Here I am today, you know, like we, we made it. And those are, those are always great stories. And, you know, I think that this way of thinking, you know, that, that culture, hard work, you know, thrift, time, time is money is, is definitely associated with, with conservatism and on the right. And I, I think it's conservatives who believe that these values are important. Or on the left, maybe they don't. Maybe sometimes they do, but maybe sometimes they don't. But I, I do want to stipulate that, that doesn't mean that it's it's the Republicans, you know, conservatives who are all doing this. <laughs> oh yeah, there are plenty of there are plenty of working class whites, or even you know even uh, well to do uh, white folks who are they believe this ethic, but maybe they don't do it themselves. You know, they, so yeah, just as uh, just as greed exists everywhere, even in pre capitalism, laziness exists everywhere. Yeah. You know, even in post capitalism, and as much as these ideas suffuse American society and Western society in general, yeah, there's, there's always bums and, you know, and, and worse yet, like you said, there's, there's people who will push the bootstraps idea, but they are themselves quite lazy. So yeah. It's, yeah. It's, They'll complain it, about it. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> there's plenty, there's plenty of blame on our own side for not living up to the high ideals of, uh, us and aesthetic capitalism. Mm-hmm. All right. What's your closing thoughts, Max Weber? Um, well, I mean, I think we've, I think he, he hits on something here as a, a, that's really become a useful retort to Marxian theory. And even today, you don't see too many full Marxists who think class is the most important thing. I think Bernie is the last one. You know, a lot of your younger Marxists even have taken in some of this idea that culture matters, although they, they do it in a backwards way with their intersectionalism and such, but. Um, I think Weber is, is probably makes the most sense of the early sociologists, and uh, it, it's a 
it's a snapshot of its time, but I think it's a lessons still kind of apply today and still apply, explain a lot of the way we behave and, and what the differences are. Mm -hmm. All right. Good enough. That's Max Faber. Catch you next time. Thanks. <laughs>